It is one of the blessings of wilderness life that it shows us how few things we need in order to be perfectly happy. It's a quote by Horace Kephart, considered the Dean of American Campers from the early 1900s from his book, Camping in Woodcraft. Hello again, Marksman Tribe. This is Matt Robertson here with episode number five of Everyday Marksman Radio, the podcast where we focus on tactical skills for an adventurous life. Today's episode is a little bit off the cuff. You see, I'm sitting here with a glass of my favorite bourbon. I want to talk a little bit about some of the lessons I've learned out in the wild. Specifically, I want to talk about two of the most epic outdoor trips I have done and compare what they taught me about survival and preparedness. Now, that may sound kind of a little off the beaten path, seeing so much I've been talking about shooting sports and guns, but like I said back in my introductory episode, we're about more than that here. We're about the total person, the marksman's path, where it's not just shooting, it's self-reliance and fitness and survival and your mindset. By the way, guys, if you want to look at today's show notes, you can find them at everydaymarksman.co slash five, the number five. Once again, that's everydaymarksman.co slash five. All right, you ready? Let's get to it. So let's talk about this first trip. When I was young, I was in the Boy Scouts. We often did, every couple months or so, was a camping trip out in South Florida. So it could have been going on a canoe trip down to the Florida Keys. could have been camping on the beach. It could have been hiking a little bit, but it was always fairly small. One or two nights, along with those jamborees, where it was more about having fun than anything else. My first serious trip happened after high school, before I started college. Me and a few of my friends flew into Saskatoon, Canada, and drove up to a launch point up in Saskatchewan. Now, this was a guided trip. I'm not going to say that we did this by ourselves, but it was a canoe trip over three weeks. It was awesome. Now, I could tell you all the stories about some of the amazing things we saw between the lakes and the birds and just getting out into nature and experiencing what it means to hear that total quiet. And if you've ever been out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But those of you who've been out there, you know that when you are hundreds of miles from civilization and there is not a sound, it's almost a little unnerving at times. That was also the first time I ever saw the Aurora Borealis, which was also pretty awesome. But I'm not here to tell you about how great all these things were. I'm actually here to tell you about the things I learned from these trips, both good and bad, but mostly today I'm going to be talking about some of the bad stuff. So the first lesson was that canoeing is work. All right. I, uh, I, I can't really explain why I didn't think of this going into it, but canoeing for six hours a day is work. This was my first exposure to actually having to row for endurance. And what I came to find out was it actually takes a lot of communication and coordination. For two people to a boat, each of you guys paddling on different sides of the boat, that whole first day was nothing but frustration and us almost yelling at each other about who is paddling at what timing and how to get in sync. And we didn't get anywhere. So that's the first takeaway that I learned from that trip was don't assume that everyone else knows what you're thinking and doing at any given time. 
All right. This is not just true of going out and camping, but really any endeavor where you're going to be out there with more than one person, you need to know what is going on with everybody else so you can trust them and get in line with them. I hate to use a line, too many Indians, not enough. How does that one go? Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Yeah, that's how it goes. But that's basically what happens. Everybody out there just assumed the other person was paying attention to what they were doing and that they would just follow your lead. Well, that doesn't work if everybody thinks they're the one in charge. So you need to set a leader and communicate exactly what has to happen. So the next big takeaway from that was when it's gone, it's gone. You know, one of the first things to run out for us, really the only real thing that ran out for us was the food. And you know what food ran out first? The really tasty one that we all wanted to eat first every night. That meant the cheeses and the dried meats. You know, that was the first to go. And granted, it lasted a little while. You know, out of a three-week trip out in the middle of nowhere with no resupply, it lasted us about half that time, really, maybe two weeks of it. But after that, we were down to the dried stuff, stuff that wasn't quite as tasty, but still got the job done to getting us some satisfaction. But when it's gone, it's gone. And one of the things we assumed we'd be able to do on this trip was it's the middle of these lakes in northern Canada. We thought we could go fishing. It's July. I'm from the south. I assumed no problem. Let's go get some food. Well, it turns out that like the week before we got there, the ice had just melted off of these lakes. And then all the natives, the locals, had already netted them. So getting fish was actually pretty hard to do for us, which meant that we had to really rely on what we brought with us. Yes, we caught some fish here and there, but that was certainly not enough to rely on over the course of three weeks. Now, the lesson I thought that I learned from that was to bring enough stuff, to bring enough of the stuff that I like so that I wouldn't run out until my next resupply. But as I'll talk about in the next trip, I took that lesson with me and that actually caused me more problems. So Hold on to your thoughts for that one, all right? Now, the next takeaway from this first trip when it came to canoeing was that being fit makes everything easier. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm not in perfect shape now. I, I'm working on it. You know, went to the gym this morning, getting my weightlifting on. But in high school, no. I, you know, I was, a, I, was, I was not that fit of a kid. Yeah, I was on the cross-country team. I was like the second slowest guy in the team. I was there for moral support more than anything else. I did enough that I was able to get into college with a, with a military scholarship, and I assumed, oh yeah, I'd figure out the fitness thing later, which I did, but that didn't help me on this particular trip. So I mentioned before when it came to the fitness side that canoeing for six hours a day for three weeks on end is a lot of work, and it is, and I'll have more another story about that one. But what I didn't know going into this whole canoe trip thing was about portaging. Now, if you've never heard this before, let me, let me paint the picture for you. You're canoeing for four or five hours across this long lake. You're enjoying the scenery, you know, swatting away the occasional mosquito. But then you get to a point where the lake ends and you have to get to the next lake. Well, how are you going to do that? Right? Like you left your car behind five days ago in the middle of nowhere. So there is no vehicle. So what do you got to do? Well, you get out of the boat. You pick up your boat, you carry it three miles to the next endpoint for the next lake. You go back over the trail you came from, you grab your backpack, you grab whatever supplies you can, you carry that for three miles over to your boat. And then you go back to your the first point, you, ca- you gather anything else you need to do, like your tent and your supplies, and you carry that three more miles to back to the boat. 
repeat until all of your stuff is back again with you. And then you canoe for another couple hours. And then maybe if you're lucky, you don't have to do portaging again. Needless to say, not knowing about that going in, that experience was not, was not something I was expecting. And had I been stronger, especially in my upper body when it came to the shoulder strength and carrying things over my head, you know, that would have made that a whole lot easier, uh, especially when it came to carrying things under load, which I do all the time now. I just finished up the 30 for 30 challenge here at the website where we had to carry 30 pounds on a ruck for 30 miles, uh, 30 days, which was a great experience. And a shout out to, to, to Jerry and Pete and Squid Gate and all the guys who've been, have been earning the badges out there. But, uh, you know, that's a hard one. It took some motivation. And going back and thinking about this canoe trip all these years ago, that was work. Work that I wasn't expecting. Now, on that same note, you know, this was northern Canada in July. These were open territory. You're going to get weather. And that weather sometimes was a pain in the rear end. And it was made more difficult that I was not prepared to be rowing when there was a 30 mile an hour wind and waves and wake and things that were just blowing me the opposite direction of where I wanted to go. So to repeat that lesson again, being stronger makes things easier. Now on to the next lesson that I learned from that trip. That is safety is not a joke when you're in the wilderness. All right, now we are a bunch of high school kids or right out of high school about to start college. We're super excited. We're full of testosterone and we're competitive with each other. So of course we're going to play games. We're playing sports. We're running around. We're, we're playing pranks on each other. And it was all fun and games until one of the guys in the group tripped and had a stick almost go through his eyeball, a tree branch that was just poking up from the ground you know, uh, thankfully it missed, but it did stab that little spot right in the outside of his eyeball, kind of on the, the edge of the cheek. It went into there pretty deep. And that was when we all kind of realized that, oh man, that could have been bad, right? You know, we, yeah, we, we the guy had a satellite phone in case we had to go for like emergency medic, medevac, but thankfully he was also a trained paramedic and that's what he did as his day job when he wasn't doing these backwood guided trips, Right. Um, but that was a big lesson there was that when you're in the middle of nowhere and you're relying on each other and help is not some immediate thing you can get to, you need to know how to solve a problem, especially a medical problem. And, you know, better than that is don't cause the problem to begin with. Follow good safety procedures. You know, when I was a military officer, I rolled my eyes endlessly at how much we talked about safety this and safety that. Oh, that's going to be a safety brief this weekend or this or that. And I know if you guys have been in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know what? It's not wrong. Now, personally, on that trip, I almost buried an axe in my shin because I was trying to cut some firewood and I didn't know what I was doing because I, like a lot of guys out there, saw somebody do it on TV and assumed that's how it's done. All right. It wasn't until years later I actually learned proper woodcraft on how you're supposed to cut wood, especially with a shorter axe. Pro tip, if you ever find yourself in that position where you need to cut wood with a hatchet or something similar, get on your knees and then cut wood on a stump somewhere else. Do not, do not even leave the option that if you miss that piece of wood like I did, that it's going to swing backwards right into your leg. 
And so the other lesson that I learned off this trip, and uh, obviously there were many, but the last one I want to leave you guys with from this particular canoe trip in Canada was that after a while, you don't even notice the smell anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, we were all in it together. Uh, yeah, we jumped in the lakes. We tried to take showers, but our stuff got sweaty. Things got nasty. But when everybody is doing it together, you don't even really notice it. So you guys who've been deployed know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just kind of the way it works. All right. Well, now let's go on to the next trip. All right. Trip number two took place several years later, and I was going to be doing the Appalachian Trail with a bunch of my college buddies. Um, you know, if you've ever done the Appalachian Trail, you know that you end up with a trail name. So I think on this particular leg that we did, there was a guy called Santa Claus who was a, I think a philosophy professor at like some Ivy League school in the Northeast, but he was like a skinny Santa Claus, right? He was like six foot four, white hair, big bushy beard. Um, you know, we were called the Three Musketeers. It was three of us and we were just kind of like the three like strapping young men just kind of running down the trail. So I was the ROTC guy. Uh, my friend was, he, one of my friends, he was, a, he played football, um, not, not it. Not college level, but he was a football player. Big dude. His dad played for Notre Dame. Uh, and the third guy was actually one of his friends. So I don't know a lot about him, but he's also a pretty fit dude. So we were like the three like warrior guys. Now, having done the canoe trip, the run up to this hiking trip, I thought I was good to go. I thought I knew everything I need to know about how to survive in the woods and go on a hiking trip. You know, like after three weeks of canoeing in the middle of nowhere with no resupply. Yeah. Yeah. Hitting a... Hitting the Appalachian Trail through like a more populated area, no big deal. Well, you know what? I was wrong. So let's talk about the first thing that went wrong on this trip. It went wrong months before we even got to the trail. You know why? Because I didn't do my homework. And for a hiking boot, you know, on the canoe trip, I, I wore sandals all day, like those strappy Teva styles. Well, well, now I was doing some serious hiking. So to get a hiking shoe, you know, I didn't go to a, an outdoors store. I went to what I knew, which was a military surplus store and bought a set of nice tactical boots, nice heavy steel toed tactical boots that gave me pretty good traction, but they were stupid heavy. And if you guys have ever done any long distance hiking, especially over terrain, you know that heavy boots suck. I forgot how the saying actually goes, but studies actually show that for every kilogram you add to your feet, you increase your energy expenditure by 7 to 10%, which is actually a lot, right? Um, and when you get heavy boots like that, you're not helping yourself. Now, the next step, the next thing that went wrong on this trip was I didn't train for it, right? So... Backstory on that. I grew up in South Florida uh, and went to school in South Florida. So sea level flat. And that's just was my environment through my entire life unless I was traveling somewhere else. So that is not even to begin with a good training environment for how to do the Appalachian Trail. That's assuming I even did any training for the Appalachian Trail. Right now, the previous adventure I had before this one was that canoe trip where there was no weight carried on my back. It was all going to be done via rowing and canoeing. And yeah, there was the portaging, but honestly, that as much as a lesson I took away from it at the time, I didn't think about it, right? Now, 
doing the Appalachian Trail is like doing rucking on steroids in the mountains, right? I assumed that because I was an ROTC and I did PT a couple times a week that my PT level was going to be fine. Well, you know what? Doing push-ups and sit-ups and running around in circles is good. It's a nice way to maintain some fitness, but it is not the same thing as carrying a 70-pound backpack up and down jagged terrain in the mountains, right? Which is what I had to do on this Appalachian Trail trip. And that gets to the second part of this. Most of that weight that I took with me was too much food. Again, I took that lesson from the Canadian trip where I remembered that the stuff I really wanted to eat was the first to be gone. So when it's gone, it's gone, I kept telling myself. So I took a ton of food and I was not going to be without resupply for the same amount of time. This was not a three-week trip before I saw another living soul, right? You know, if you've ever done the Appalachian Trail, then you know that you're really going to be four or five days before you hit some point where you can resupply along the trail. Now, the combination of all that extra weight and then the the heavy boots, which at least I broke mine in, unlike when my friend who did the trip, the, the, the heavy boots, the heavy weight, and then the uneven terrain and poor fitness meant that our pace slowed to a crawl. When we were planning our trip, we thought we were going to hit like 20 miles a day. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't that was going to happen. I think by the end of it, we ended up hitting maybe eight miles a day on this trail, which seems to be actually about the average, but it took us all day. It took us all day to get from campsite to campsite, which was not something we had planned for. Now on that comes the next lesson, was that we didn't have sufficient first aid supplies. All right, I had very basic first aid training, you know, on the canoe trip in Canada, we actually had like a paramedic who brought along his supply kit and I knew what he needed to bring. I didn't have that. So we had a basic first aid kit, which we thought would be good for boo-boos and slashes and painkillers, right up until my friend ended up with some epic blisters from his boots, which were not broken in. Uh, he was he was that guy who, if I had taken a picture, was pouring blood out of his boot at the end of every couple of days, right? And the only thing we had to help with that was duct tape, which worked. But at the end of the day, we had to rely on the other hikers we met on the trail to help us out with it. So that talks about gear on this trip. You see, you have to think about the gear you're going to take with you and how it matches the environment you're going to be in. We didn't even actually look up what the weather forecast was going to look like when we were planning this trip. We just assumed, again, it was July. It's the, the Smoky Mountains. So everything was going to be fine. I brought along a 30-degree sleeping bag. Well, my friend, he had some promotional, super cheap sleeping bag that was probably not even good for 80 degrees. He froze every night. Uh, and to quote Horace Kephart again, a man can stand almost any hardship by day and be none the worse for it, provided he gets a comfortable night's rest. But without sound sleep, he will soon go to pieces, no matter how gritty he may be. Well, can you guess the combination of knee pain and foot pain and being frigid at night in the Appalachian Trail? You can bet my buddy, he did not get good sleep and he was falling apart by the end of that first week. Now, the next part of this also going on in poor planning was we didn't crossload anything. We carried a lot of redundant gear, including tents. For instance, between the three of us, we had three tents. Thinking about that in hindsight, that's ridiculous. You know, we could have had a single 
three to four person tent and we could have just split out the components of it so we wouldn't have to carry as much. But taking three tents along with us meant that that was like 45 pounds worth of stuff that we could have really gotten down to. I don't even know what that would have been to divide one tent by three people, right? That would be a much better way to go. And continuing that theme of poor planning, we didn't even have a map, right? <laughs> like in, These days, if I'm going out in the middle of nowhere, I'm taking a topographic map and some key milestones and I'm planning things out and I'm sharing my route with somebody. When we did this trip, we got we got a copy of the, the National Park brochure from the ranger's office and said, all right, off we go. <laughs> You know, I had to I had to take out my compass to kind of figure out where we were based on, yeah, I think the trail kind of curves here at this point. So we're probably at this, right? Ugh. To be young and dumb. All right, let's talk some of my lessons learned, takeaways. All right, now, even though I highlighted some of the negative aspects of these trips, they were overall amazing experiences. And I, would, I, I am so happy I got to do them, especially when I was younger. And I really look forward to someday helping my, my kid, you know, uh, get to do something like, like this. Right? I want to encourage him to have these adventures. But I do firmly believe that everyone needs to go out and, and spend some time in the wild. But you need to do it safely and responsibly. And that starts with knowing what you're getting yourself into. What are your capabilities? And you need to think smart about your gear. So number one, you need to actually look at how long you're gonna go without a resupply. Don't carry too much stuff. You know, there's a trend in our shooting community where people talk about two is one and one is none. And yeah, that makes sense. You wanna have redundancy on some important items. For instance, if I go out in the woods these days, I'm probably going to be having two or three knives, right? I'm going to have probably two sources of illumination. Um, I'm probably going to have three or four ways to make fire, but those are like key essentials, right? Certain There are a lot of things that you can realize that you, you don't need to carry that much extra because everything extra you carry, uh, that's just extra weight and extra weight sucks, Right? So that gets to actually using and enforcing a packing list. I think it worked out in the Canada trip because this was, again, a guided trip that we received a packing list ahead of time that we knew what we had to bring. Yeah, I brought some extra stuff, but, but at the end of the day, like they kind of told us what we had to have, and that's ultimately what worked out. They, they brought the extras. So keep your stuff light, keep it useful, and remember that being multi-purpose is your friend, right? So if you can find some item and then use it for multiple things, that is a good way to go. So for instance, if you can get a compass that has a magnifying glass on it, well then great, you can use that as a fire starter as well. And if it has a signal, if it has a mirror on it for navigation, like say a Sunto MC2, which is my preferred compass, well you can use that for signaling and you can use that for grooming and shaving and, and first aid because you have to dig ticks and leeches off yourself. There you go, it can do a lot of things for you. You don't need to carry more than one of those, right? Another example might be something like a Kupla cup, Kuplica cup. I don't know how they're pronounced, right? And the whiskey's hitting me now, right? But you know, it's like a, it's almost like a cup in a bowl. So you can both eat out of it and you can drink out of it, right? Um, you can use a steel water bottle in place of a plastic one. And therefore with a steel water bottle, you can boil your water and purify it in the same container you drink from. 
that saves you from having to carry some separate way of purifying water over there and gathering water, and then that's the one you drink out of over there, right? Consolidate. You can use your multi-tool knife as your eating knife. So a lot of mess kits will come out there with like, here's your spoon and fork and a separate knife. Well, if I can get away with only having to use one small knife, cool, I'll do that. Now, the other thing you gotta think about is how many people are gonna be around when you're on these trips, right? Because if you're in the middle of nowhere with no resupply, yeah, you need to think about contingencies. How am I gonna get help? Who's gonna help me out? How can I distribute load more effectively? If there's gonna be people around, then you're in much better shape because you can ask for help. You can, you can find opportunities to get help, to get resupply, right? And then lastly on this one, you need to make sure that you're actually physically up to the task, right? Now, I make a big deal about physical fitness on this blog and this podcast and the website, but it matters, right? Everything in life is easier when you are more physically fit. Now, I've been rambling long enough now. I think we're up to almost 30 minutes in this podcast. So I just want to say thank you guys for listening. The big takeaways today is that you need to get out there, get to wilderness, learn some lessons, but remember to plan ahead, be fit, and be smart about what you're taking with you and have some skills, right? When you're in the middle of nowhere and your buddy gets stabbed in, stabbed in the face with a, with a wooden branch, you may not have the internet to tell you what to do. So learn those skills ahead of time, guys. All right, that's it. Matt out. Talk to you next time. EverydayMarksman.co slash number five. Again, EverydayMarksman.co slash five. All right, guys. Catch you later.